This is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Uh, hey, my name is Rob Minot, and hey, look who it is joining me today, Mr. Ryan Fleury. It's me again. And Mr. Steve Barkley. Where? I don't see him. I don't <laughs> see him. And there's my phone. That's Never amazing. fails. Oh, that happens. Never fails. <laughs> it's Jackie. Hang on. <laughs> like she has podcasts. She knows. Can I call you back? Podcast. <laughs> okay. Oh, we need uh, eggs and um, eggs, mayonnaise, and Probably sour cream. Wine. And wine. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. No, he did a liquor run yesterday. There you go. Oh, did he do? Okay. Oh, a yeah. Secret, a secret look at the Barclays. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Now everybody knows. That's right. Big Mandy's fan. <laughs> why, why? What are you making? Uh, making pub food tonight. So I'm doing up some wings on the barbecue and we'll toss them in some sauce. And then uh, uh, I earlier today threw some baked potatoes on the barbecue and I followed them out and I'm going to make potato skins. Wow. Nice. Wow. Look at you, fancy. Yeah. See, literally, you should go over to, eat, to your place for for pub food. Yeah, I think we pub need a summer barbecue pub. at the Barclays. Yeah, it's a good plan. Yeah. yeah. As soon as we get our second vaccine here. Yeah. Think in September. Yep. Hey, did you guys get any? Did you guys get your appointment yet for a second vaccine at all? Have you been contacted? I've, I've had mine. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yep. And we're supposed to get our booking email, I think, around July 2nd. So end of next week, we can probably book. So wait, does that mean, so you got that, the text message you got or no? Not yet. Okay. Okay. So that's what you're waiting Around for. Around July yeah. 2nd. Yeah. We're waiting for that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I didn't think I was going to get a text message, but I did. Hmm. Cause I, I was earlier, but um, yeah, they, they figured it out, I guess. Cool. Well, that'll be nice. Mm-hmm. Feel good. Doubly vaccinated. Yes. Um, well, how, uh, how are you guys? I feel like I haven't talked to you guys for, for ages. How, how's everything going? Oh, it's been interesting. <laughs> I always worry when somebody says that because that's, it's very loaded. Interesting. And in what way? Uh, I am currently, uh, trying to, uh, have the police track down a fraudster in Quebec who has fraudulently ordered with a stolen credit card an Orcam MyEye Pro. Oh. And you wait, you are, and so wait, but you've already sent it? Like, you mean you've... Yeah, it's been delivered. Yep. Yeah, oh, gone. no. Yeah, the chargeback came through today. Oh, no, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. So, trying to track them down. Yeah, and I guess that as a business, you really don't have any recourse for those for those chargebacks. Like the the business always has to just eat it, right? Yeah, I mean, the very first thing they're going to say is, uh, "What ID did he give you?" <laughs> and he didn't. He just called in with a credit card over the phone. Aye, aye. So, yeah. 
Well, to whoever that was in Quebec, we're Jerk. coming for you. Yeah. Yeah. He tried to do it again, too. Yeah. Week later. Really? Yeah. The only reason I caught, uh, the only reason I figured it out is he used the same phone number both times under two different names. Oh. See, he got greedy. Yeah. <laughs> and there was a third, there was a third attempt for a different product on our website, but also being shipped to the same, uh, same city. So I think it's probably, probably the same guy. <laughs> so before we dive any farther down into a few things that I want to talk to you guys about, uh, let's uh, tell the fine folks what, uh, what we're up to this week. Today, we are talking with David Dame, who is the director for Microsoft Accessibility in Canada. Very cool. Microsoft staying in our good books by coming on the show. You can learn right. a lot. Apple. Yeah. <laughs> Amazon. <laughs> Well, Ryan, should we should we break the big news to our audience? Oh, yeah, yeah, I actually forgot we were announcing that this week, but we are so fire away. Is that this oh, week? You want me to do it? Yeah, yeah. Theme music. Well, well, that's right, and we'll we'll work that in. We'll work new music into the new format. So, okay, very exciting news on the AT Banter podcast front. Uh, we've decided through a course of several meetings and just discussing it amongst ourselves for, mm, this has probably been going on for a good six months. Um, we've decided that we are going to rebrand the show. Oh, I thought you were going to say shutting it down. I was like, whew. <laughs> <laughs> You're part of these meetings, Ryan. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was, that was so four days ago. This, is, uh, this has been a conversation we've we've actually been having internally, God, for years, because um, we realized about maybe fifteen episodes into <laughs> this podcast that we were straying away from just being an assistive technology podcast, and it really it hasn't really described what the show is about for for years and years but we just didn't want to rebrand because we'd already gone down that road it's a lot of work to rebrand uh we didn't want to confuse our audience uh there's just a bunch of different reasons that we found that that uh we we didn't want to sort of rebrand and rename the show um but you know we got to a point where we wanted to make some other changes in the show and it just it just kind of made sense to roll all these things out together and kind of give a new spit and polish to the to the show. So we you may be asking, dear audience member, what uh, what that rebranding is going to look like. Well, we don't know. We're not sure yet. We haven't decided on a name. We have some ideas, some of them bad, some of them horrible, some of them meh. But, you know, we had the idea that I thought, well, you know who might have some good ideas and that listen to us on occasion uh, is the audience. What, our audience? Exactly. No way. I mean, they're listening to us. How bright could they be? <laughs> <laughs> well, we thought that uh, we would just, we would, well, first of all, we wanted, of course, to tell the audiences in full transparency and ahead of time, we're not rebranding tomorrow or next week. Uh, this is something that we're looking at maybe at the end of the summer. We'll, we'll roll this out. But we thought it would be an idea to just put the question out there to people. What, what do you think? 
do you have a suggestion for what we might want to rename our the podcast? You send the, us an email. The Strayed Beyond Its Original Mandate podcast. I love it. See? But it's too long. It's not going to fit on a business card. It's not even a good acronym. Or a and then what are we... What are we going to, how are we going to do the, you know, banter, banter thing on that? Strayed, strayed. <laughs> we at least need it to make up a good acronym. Yes, BBOMP isn't a good one. Right. No, not at all. Yeah. So, um, so that's coming down the pipe. We wanted to share that with the audience. We wanted to be fully transparent and, uh, We'll certainly keep you posted in that sense, but that's coming. That's coming. We're gonna we're gonna rebrand a bit, maybe shift the format of the show around a little bit. Um, but listen, if you have any sort of suggestions for a name, or even for some stuff that you would like us to talk about, anything at all, any sort of any sort of suggestions that you have for the show, now's the time. Email us cowbell at atbanter.com and throw your hat into the ring. And hey, you never know. This could be your, your 15 minutes of fame where you are responsible for renaming our podcast. And just a side note, I would like to have all submissions in by end of July. So we do have time to complete the rebranding process. Yep. Right. If you listen to this in August, suck it up. You missed. <laughs> you missed it. And you're already listening to the straying, strayed from its original <laughs> mandate podcast. Anyway, so... <laughs> Uh, what else we got in the news? Oh, hey, so am I got this right? Did Bill 6, the Accessible British Columbia Act, did that pass? Is it, it is did. that law now? It, it's hmm. law now. Uh, it's not really I, a law. It's more of a, a framework, I think, from what I've read. Well, yeah, well it's, yeah, it's, it's not a law because it doesn't. Well, sorry, go ahead. Mike. Yeah, no, I was just going to say it, it sounds like it has become law, but there's nothing in place yet. There's no enforcement. There's no standards. There, there's nothing to that law at this point. Yeah. But it has yeah. been tabled and it has been approved. And the, the law says you will strike a committee. <laughs> yes. So for those for those who haven't followed, and we talked a little bit about this uh, a couple of weeks ago, but so the accessible or so Bill Six is the Accessible British Columbia Act. It's it's you know it's BC's own accessibility framework. Like Steve said, the part of the frustration behind this is that I. Is this went this went into law so fast? So the Disability Alliance of BC, you know, they when when this when Bill Six was first proposed, they had all kinds of suggestions, and they, you know they opened it up to a lot of different advocacy organizations, and they all submitted suggestions. But it seems to us that this was just kind of pushed through, um, and they didn't seem to take much into account in terms of those suggestions. This is all just sort of very surface level uh, assessment to this. But the long and the short of it is this act really doesn't have a lot of teeth as it has now been passed. There's no enforcement mechanism. Um, there's no timelines in terms of when a lot of these suggestions and frameworks sh will be in place by. So, Well, I think uh, you're missing the big point too, is they actually left out the learning disabled and the, the nonverbal disability groups as well. They aren't included as part of this Accessibility Act. Yeah, and, and I, I, think I, I think I've talked about that on a previous podcast too. Governments across the country are terrified of the learning disability community because if they recognize them, they will have to do something about them. And it's a travesty, to be honest. Right. But 
that's the motivation. They don't want to spend that much money because it's going to take a lot of money to address the needs of that population properly and equitably. Yeah. And it's a real shame. Um, it, it's yeah. So it, this is frustrating. I mean, I guess I want to look at this positively and be like, well, at least we have an accessible BC act. I mean, that's something, but at the same time, like what good is an act like this? If it, if it falls so short of actually being something that's effective and that people are going to pay any sort of attention to. Well, this is something to keep in mind. This passed, I think, last week or two weeks ago. So there is still a lot of work to be done before there is any enforcement, before the standards are ironed out, before the other groups come back to the table. There's going to be ongoing discussions for at least I'm still thinking two or three years before we actually see what this accessible BC Act looks like. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that would be great, but you know, because I keep thinking of the of the Ontario version. Um, and at least they had a timeline, though. They said, you know, by 2025, we want to make Ontario, you know, an accessible province, a fully accessible province. And they've 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 staggered out timelines. And is wasn't there just a recently like July 1st was that was the the um, deadline for is it was it websites? I think it was digital accessibility. Accessible? I think so. Um, which they're not even close to. Don't get no. me wrong. They're, that's it's, that's a, a complete and utter pipe dream. And and again, I think that they fall short in terms of. Well, no, but, they, they but, did. But hang they, on, let's let's also keep in mind that act was passed in two thousand five. Yeah. it's been sixteen years. Yeah, to get uh, to the point that it's at right now, ours has been passed now. And right. granted, it's not much as it stands. It's a baby step but it's some kind of step at sure. least. So if, if I'm going to, if I'm going to throw a positive spin on it, that's going to be it. At least we've done something to take that step because we'd done nothing before. Yeah. We have something to learn from now. Yeah. Well, and that's why I was a little disappointed because when they really didn't take all these suggestions to account and it didn't even really feel like they looked at something like Ontario's act and really like went, okay, well, what did they do wrong or what can we learn from Ontario to, and not repeat that here. And I don't really get the feel like they did much of that. And I could be wrong. Who knows? Yeah, well, I don't I don't know what the process has been to date. So it's hard to really. But you're right. But you're right. I mean, at least we have something. It's it's a step, uh, you know, and hopefully this is something that that the plan is to build on and to use as a as sort of a template to to build out something that's going to be really really make a difference in the next say 20 years of, of in the province absolutely uh what else you guys got anything else interesting to talk about nothing else happened uh, this week no other no, 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 no. Uh, building building collapsed in florida yeah <laughs> I heard about that. that that's crazy that is crazy that's just weird to think that it would just you know fall down like that yeah, that's I'm my worst. I'm night. never trusting a high rise again. <laughs> yeah, I know, and I live in one. I I've always worried about that living in a high rise, like in an apartment, just being like, what would happen if you just the building just collapsed? Well, well you know, Mike Mike Calvo from uh, Numa Solutions, his cousin lived in the building. Oh my oh, god! Really? And and she's okay, uh, but uh, yeah, the, I mean, mm. it, it's just it's crazy. Yeah. They uh, they apparently were having some roof work done. So I have a theory that what happened was they, the, the contractor probably piled up too much stuff in one place on the roof and collapsed the roof. But 
It's the only thing I can figure would cause a collapse mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're, wonder, not I, they're not talking about why it came down. They don't know. Yeah, well, I'm sure that'll come up. I mean, I wonder, I just came curious too, like how old the building was and, and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that that's going to be the real rush to, because like, like I heard somebody say like yesterday on the news, they're just like, this doesn't happen in first world country. Like buildings don't just fall down by themselves. Like this is, well, this is, this is an affluent building too. It's not like rundown housing or something. It's, this is, this is where rich people live. Uh, I tell you, the news is just depressing. Yep. I, just, I gotta get I gotta get off my news addiction. I just gotta stop stop reading the news because it's either just start going to the Good News Network or start watching Disney stuff or or videos of stoats on Netflix. No, you know what? Disney isn't even an escape because they keep making those the shitty live action versions of all the cartoons. <laughs> they're all terrible. I've not seen any of them, but they're garbage. <laughs> Go back and rewatch Animaniacs. <laughs> classic um hey, okay. hey hey ryan yeah steve Let, let's do a segue uh okay how do we do a segue uh one of us has to say something like coming up next oh i like that i like the voice is that do it? It. say coming up next sure, sure give her coming up next mm -hmm. <laughs> that's it that we just leave them with that okay. this is the segue <laughs> pay no attention to it let's pretend this is smooth introduction of our this week's guest that was my impression of a segue going off a cliff just like the owners <laughs> joining us now is david dame from microsoft dave i want to thank you so much for taking some time today to join us to talk all about microsoft and ai and accessibility i am ryan flurry and in the room with me today are steve barclay that would be me and rob Minot. uh hello gentlemen joining us is dave dame who is the director of microsoft accessibility for canada hi everyone well actually i live in canada but i report into seattle oh okay perfect Another well, Canadian. Seattle, Seattle is the closest thing to Canada. Like they, they we pretty much they're pretty much honorary Canadians. <laughs> well, yeah. them in Minnesota, right? So yeah. true. That's right. Seattle's getting a hockey team next year, so our takeover will be complete. <laughs> exactly. It starts with sports, and then I get them to love bacon, and now they're all ours. Excellent. <laughs> Well, listen, uh, why don't we start off with just uh, learning a little bit about you and what you do over there at Microsoft? Yeah, so I've been at Microsoft for 11 weeks now. So I'm a relatively new employee, but I've uh, lived with cerebral palsy for 50 years of my life. <clears throat> so probably like a lot of you uh, hosting the show, I was born with a disability in 1971 before there was a lot of infrastructure policy and anything to support having a really meaningful, filling life. But um, what I've liked over the years is how things have changed. And, you know, unfortunately, um, sometimes you're ahead of the curve, sometimes you're behind the curve. But I've always worked in technology and really been able to work my way to senior levels navigating the world in a power wheelchair. 
So when I turned 50 this year, um, I was a vice president at a Canadian bank. At 50, you see the world differently, right? When you're young, you start thinking about what do I want to be when I grow up? At 50, you're like, what do I want to achieve in my time of working? And when this Microsoft opportunity came up, it gave me a, a calling to really be able to work in an area that's going to help people with a mismatch in their environment achieve great things. So um, it seemed to be a calling. I'm glad to be there. It brings my love for technology and humans and uh, inclusion and diversity and accessibility all together. So tell, tell us a little bit about what life is like over there at the, at the Microsoft Accessibility Department. Well, what life is like is really, um, it's an interesting uh, continuous learning journey because we're always learning about different disabilities because, you know, I think there's other disabilities other than cerebral palsy. So trying to learn about the different disabilities and the cross-sectional disabilities and the variants of it while learning what assistive technology is out there and really trying to understand the current gaps in technology, it's always um, a great opportunity to learn and to do and to be advocates within the organization to help bring to reality to engineering teams about opportunities to, to make our products more accessible, initially for people with disabilities, but like we've all seen, right? People like using accessibility features to enhance the way they work, live, or play. So, and I'm still in the honeymoon phase, right? So it's been really good, um, great support so far. And I won't, I won't lie. Sometimes it gets challenging and frustrating, but you know we're stubborn. We want to continue to push through, and uh, it's been a great experience so far. So even working within the, the uh, assistive technology field for many, many years, as the, the three of us have, um, one of the challenges can really be is literally like trying to keep up with, with the technology that's out there and even and, and sort of related to that, the, the needs that are out there for people. Is that, is that what you guys find there? Is, is that part of, the, part of what you guys sort of have to do is find out what new technology is coming down the pipe and then try to try to, to use that to, to build more functionality into, into Microsoft products? Well, yeah, and it's, you're, you're exactly right. It's an ongoing to understand what new technology innovations are there and what opportunities are there, right? Because sometimes, you know, in technology companies, uh, we build a solution, then we're chasing a problem. And really, as you know, when you're working in accessibility, you can see where technology can solve a fundamental problem that we've learned to live with, that we can remove that friction. That's when there's a great opportunity, right? What kind of what kind of technology like do you guys sort of latch onto in that sense? Like, what what are you guys sort of on the lookout for, or are you are you more focused in on? like listening to the community and trying to, to, to find their needs? Or is it sort of a balancing act? Well, you just mentioned what the complexity of our role is. So I sit exclusively in the surface hardware division where 
we're focusing on hardware, but we know hardware is just the entry point to experiences. So we work with our partners in Windows and Office to understand, but that's where you're right. There is a balancing act to really understand where the community is needing, right? What they're doing. And we like to actually talk to real users, like real people with disabilities to understand where are we missing the mark? What are the struggles? And, and trying to capture all that information and then try to blend it and, and get it into the roadmaps that we're building to, to create experiences for a whole variety of users. So you're right, you feel like you're on a treadmill going in multiple directions and you're just trying to keep up. Ryan, have you sent Dave your manifesto? Ryan is a great guy for feedback on uh, when things are working and not working. <laughs> well, and these are just what we need, right? We love hearing from the community. Um, what I like about Microsoft is what they've learned and where we've come to, the, to, to today. And we're by no means saying we're perfect, but we're always striving to be better. It is that constant, um, pretty much frank feedback that we get that we want to champion and do. And um, what's interesting at Microsoft is um, what I've noticed from anywhere else I've worked is the number of pockets where accessibility exists. We have it in our, in our um, corporate external legal affairs, all the way to the different software divisions to where I sit in the hardware division. We have many different pockets with their specific focus on accessibility, but we're continually working together to get that holistic view, to remove those roadblocks and friction, to really trying to um, engage into new enablement as quick as we can. So I can only imagine what a challenge it must be like to sometimes to get that holistic view, especially in a, in a company as big as, as Microsoft with so many things on the go. Is, is that some of the challenge? Like, you know, you, you're working in say hardware, for example, but then you've got like software guys, then you've got UI guys and like keeping all of everybody sort of on the same page when it comes to something like accessibility, is that a challenge or has Microsoft got it down where, you know, accessibility is just baked into all the processes and it's always like, do you guys have to meet a lot? And like, do the software guys ever come to you with something and be like, oh, geez, guys, like, what are you doing? Like, this isn't accessible. Back to the drawing board. Or like, how does the process work? Well, you just mentioned it. Like, we have, um, we try to do accessible by design, right? So we do it up front and, you know, we put together these touch points where we have frequent connections and conversations where the real challenge actually gets is as humans, we have our own opinion on what is the best way to handle that accessibility thing. So it's that diversity of opinions that come together where we ideate to come up with really um, maybe the best solution to do that, right? Because it's when we weigh in the different opinions is this an OS challenge? Is this a hardware challenge? Is this a separate application challenge? It's really getting that cross diverse perspective, even though in accessibility, you think it would be clear cut, 
but it's that differencing of ideation and opinions that I think really becomes Microsoft's magic sauce on bringing the right accessibility experience to the market. Well, and you know, what's interesting and, and that what I, what I kind of really admire about Microsoft is that they're also willing to, you know, put, put the money where their mouth is in terms of, you know, not only, you know, externally are they, are they building accessibility into a lot of their products, but they've also really embraced the idea of inclusive hiring. Um, can you speak to us a little bit about that? Well, yeah, that, that's interesting. Like I said in the beginning of the show, um, I have cerebral palsy and I'm in a power chair. And, um, you know, there's not too often in the workplace where I get to see other people with disabilities. Like sometimes they might be in, uh, in the call center where they tend to be, but not too often do you see it spread out in different areas. And what I really liked about Microsoft is I've actually gotten to meet and see people that are like me, right? So I can have conversations with them that we can't really share a common understanding with our non-disabled colleagues, right? So that's been great. And that's where I think the pandemic also helped. Um, when Microsoft reached out to me, they asked me about my interest to relocate. And um, I said, well, right now I'm not really interested in relocating but I love Microsoft. I want to be there. Um, is there anything we can do from a remote perspective? And they were very accommodating to say, yeah, we would like your experience and knowledge and we'll accommodate that. Um, so it was interesting that it was an interesting hiring process where um, they knew I had a disability because they did their research, they Googled and stuff. But um, that doesn't even really become a question because they're really asking you about your ability and stuff. They really want to make sure that they're not excluding people with disabilities, which is great. And it's apparent in their diverse workforce that we have. But um, they really try to make sure people can bring their best selves to work because they have a great accommodations group that whatever you struggle with, like personally, I struggle with putting slides together that, you know, you can get assistance to that. So they're really huge on ensuring that they do have people with disabilities within their workforce, because that's how you really get understanding and empathy, right? Um, I know previously to joining Microsoft, people would ask me, like, can you tell us the difference from working on diverse teams and non-diverse teams. And I said, well, by default, every team I become a part of, it's a diverse team because I'm a person with a disability. And every engineering team I've worked with built that empathy when they watched me navigate our, our technology application or platform. So I think their reason for trying to build a great inclusive workforce with disabilities, not only to get that cognitive diversity that we bring because of our lived experience with disabilities, but to really amplify the understanding and empathy for all the employees that may not have been exposed to a person with a disability. Yeah, and that's, and that's really what, what we need in general, you know, in order for 
for you know something like inclusive hiring to really spread out throughout the the business world and to become really normalized and and standard um you know we need these big um, corporate leaders to embrace it and to to sort of build up a model to show everybody else that something like this is not only a great business case, but it, 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 it can just be a huge benefit to the company. Well, I always like to share this story in my first job, right? I graduated from university and it took me nine months to find my first job because, you know, in 1994, not a lot of workplaces were accessible. And when I found my first job, I found out the first day, that I couldn't get in the washroom. I didn't think to check it out before I started my job. So instead of mentioning something, I didn't feel safe. So I chose to not go to the bathroom all day while I was at work. I would choose to hold it every day for, and I had to work 12 hours a day because I was doing um, an administrative job that was really uh, relied a lot on my hands, which looked very arthritic to do the training logistics, to book and train training manually on papers and folders. And the rest of my peers could do it in eight hours. It took me 12. Given that I was already ahead of using technology, like most people with disabilities are, technology was that level setter. Um, I decided to build a website and use technology where people could self-enroll and then vendors could uh, sign up for what they want. So what was taking me 12 hours a day was now only taking me three, where the rest of my peers were still taking eight. And it wasn't that I was smarter than them, but because it was a problem for me first, my diverse perspective, I was able to fix it where everybody could benefit from it. And now that it was only taking them three hours a day, which gave that introduced productivity that maybe wouldn't have been discovered so quickly if they hadn't hired somebody with a disability. So not only do disability bring different insights into seeing mismatches of environments, but it also makes people closely relate to seeing the world differently, which only makes the workforce a lot better. And I like how you mentioned uh, inclusive hiring, because everybody always says diversity and inclusion. But I think until you have inclusion, where I feel welcome, we will never have that diversity. It's one of those things that just makes so much sense that, you know, you slap your forehead and go, well, why didn't people think of this ages ago? But to be able to to put out into, into space, like new assistive technologies and utilizing those technologies into existing products, you know, having a, a segment of your workforce that intuitively knows what the needs of the customer are, it, it, it's just, it, yeah, it makes total sense. Right, because I always like to say, I have cerebral palsy, but my money doesn't. So if you want my money, you better buy a product or service that I can use, or I'll find one that I can buy. Ryan, you need to use that. You need to steal that and use that next time you're fighting with a company. Absolutely. Yep. Um, talk to us a little bit about the the just announced the five-year initiative that, that Microsoft um, has announced. That is fabulous, isn't it? Like, I was so proud of an employee that announced their commitment 
to really close the disability divide, right? And they're trying to do it from many different uh, aspects of technology, education, and programs. And like you said earlier, um, they're trying to lead the way that we all have a, a social responsibility to do this. And it's only going to give them a bigger, deeper workforce to draw from. And one of the things I like the most about it is, and it sounds so simple, but it says so much. They moved the accessibility checker right up next to spell check. And at first you might think, oh yeah, that makes it more visible and usable. But and they're going to turn it on by default. Well, you know, it's it, you know, it's funny you say that because um, you know, my mind immediately goes to to Twitter. So Twitter has um, you know, the ability to um, alt tag pictures. Um, but that functionality is not turned on by default. You have to dig into the settings and you actually have to turn that ability on. Having it on by default is what that's that should be the default state of any given program. It makes no sense to bury it in the bury that functionality in the settings and have it turned off by default. So well, ex exactly. It almost makes it look like accessibility should be a privilege and not a foundation. And what I like about it brilliantly there, it's almost like saying it's almost as appropriate to send an email that you didn't spell check as it would be that you didn't check for accessibility. Because now if we see a spelling error, we're like, well, that's sloppy. Like there is no reason today to ever have a spelling error, which makes it look like you're very sloppy to not have your spell checker on. But by having accessibility on by default, you're telling the world it's no longer appropriate to send something it's not accessible. It's almost considered as sloppy as not really um, checking for spelling or grammar before hitting send. And I think that tells a lot. You know, you should have you should have a little paper clip that pops up and says, hey, it looks like your document is inaccessible. Would you like to not look like a knob? <laughs> no, we're not bringing Clippy back. <laughs> Come on, bring back Clippy. <laughs> you know, I, I'm looking forward to when I do my first trip to Seattle. I want to see if they have any reference to Clippy at all on the <laughs> campus. I imagine they got this like prison down in the basement <laughs> of Microsoft headquarters where there's this little Clippy behind bars where they just feed three times a day. And That's it's funny. the greatest apology for the world. <laughs> That's really interesting. You're right. What, what happened to Clippy? Nobody's heard, right? It's like nobody no, only on rare podcasts he gets brought up. Other than that, nobody talks about him. Oh, I, I, I heard a rumor that he had a gambling problem. Yeah, he's in some hotel somewhere in Vegas, you know, all unshaven and in a bathrobe, surrounded he's, by Daniel's bottles. He's Looks doing like the you're betting against a straight flush. Exactly, he's doing leaving Las Vegas, right? He's down in two sixties in the shower. <laughs> Well, there you go. I smell another hashtag campaign, guys. Like, That's right. Hashtag, what, where's Clippy? What happened to Clippy? That's right. Where's Clippy? <laughs> uh, we're getting sidetracked once again. Sorry, I did uh, that. 
No, that's great. I love it. I love Clippy. Um, what were we talking about? Well, I think we're talking about the the um, closing the disability divide initiative Microsoft announced a little while ago. And, you know, we're talking about the technology. The second part they're doing is education because with education becomes opportunity, right? So by them really trying to get down and make reading more or learning more inclusive and accessible, we're really starting to close that gap and gateway for employability and getting people out into the society and community. So I really glad they took the, they really took the lead on this. But to be honest, my hope is every other company catches on and we're just another one of them and we're not the first one. That's what I would like to see, right? I know I should say Microsoft should always be on top of this, but as a person with a disability, I want to see the world do this where we're just part of the status quo. Well, you know, and what's interesting too is that I think that one of the really important things about about having accessibility such a such a standardized feature in things like office products and how that ties into inclusive hiring, you know, you think about it and almost every company out there, they're using office in some capacity, you know, in their systems. And so if accessibility is built into those functions, they're going to be more open to the idea of hiring somebody with a disability because they know that, okay, well, this isn't going to be an option because we're using office and we know that office is accessible. So, I mean, all these things trickle down into helping build this society that we're, we're sort of fighting for to, like you said, to, to um, bridge that disability divide or make it smaller. That's a brilliant point. You just mentioned Rob is, you're right, by us creating this equitable digital platform and devices, we're not building for yesterday's workforce, right, of all able-bodied, privileged white dudes. We're building for today's workforce that might have different abilities or different disabilities and different needs with technology. And if we want to hire this diverse, inclusive, accessible workforce, that represents where we are today as a society. It's got to be built in by default in the platforms that these companies and businesses are using to do their business, where it becomes the status quo of platform. And it's not seen of as an extra cost of, oh, I hired Rob, I hired Dave. Now we got to get this, 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 and this. By continually making accessible by design, it's almost thought of as the equitable platform for everybody to be on. Just stop updating it every two years or twice a year. <laughs> but is it more rapid updates better? Like I, I come from an agile perspective, right? So in trying to learn and to, to respond, I don't know. I don't mind updates. I think Unless one of it the, breaks something, then I complain. Yeah, I think one of the, one of the, I don't know if it's a benefit or a curse, but with with organizations releasing multiple updates like that, it makes those of us using assistive technology screen readers from third parties really hope that they're on the ball, they're doing beta testing, and that when Microsoft or whoever Apple releases a new OS, that our products are still going to work and be functional. 
Yeah, that's fair enough. I, I never thought of it from that perspective. But you're right. It's And that's where Agile and accessibility gets its strain is we got to be aligned with those third-party vendors that, that, you know, for me, I use Dragon Naturally Speaking. So whenever something goes hay, a haywire with that, I feel like my world has ended, right? They'll say, well, try this different third-party app. And I'm like, no, no, no. I've spent 20 years learning this thing. Uh, I can use it in my sleep. So you're right. It's That's another challenge, too. When you mention all the challenges, it's ensuring we're staying in alignment with our third-party AT as well to make sure we don't break something. Or if we do, we respond very quickly to it. Well, in the last few years, you know, Microsoft has had a big push on accessibility. Narrator's gotten better and better. You know, dictation in Office applications, you know, I'm not sure where that's at, but it, it is there in Windows. But I do want to touch on the announcement yesterday of Windows 11 and possibly what accessibility enhancements have been made there. Well, I don't know how much I can technically share into the full release, but I know I work with the teams that are constantly doing it. We're really trying to um, look at as we move closer and closer to really uh, address equitably all the different um, use cases of disability in increasing new features and making things more crisp and clear. Um, the big thing I think you saw in the promo video is uh, the voice to text getting better for tablets right? Getting the hardware and that. Um, I don't know how much I can speak to it yet because sure. I'm a new employee. So yeah. I'd rather take the safer route. <laughs> Absolutely. But Exactly. I might, you'll say, hey, anybody hiring out there? Um, <laughs> but what I know is, especially the Windows team is a part of every release they do. It needs to include accessibility features and, uh, you know, from the, from visual impairments all the way to mobility impairments. And they have a two-year plan to even do more. Unfortunately, I know you don't like those frequent updates, but I know there are more that they're doing that's really going to help the performance of those accessibility features. Well, unfortunately, I ran the Windows 11 accessibility checker to see if my system met the requirements, and it doesn't currently. So I'm going to have to get a new computer, Steve. <laughs> I highly recommend you buy a Surface. Hey, I, might, I might be biased. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> well, but no, you bring up, that brings up a really good point, though. I, I mean, and this must be a, a, a real challenge when it comes to accessibility, because not only are you sort of trying to work forward and develop, you know, both new hardware solutions to drive new accessibility features within multiple programs, as well as an operating system, um, but you're also sort of going backwards and, and sort of building accessible functionality into, say, products that already exist. Um, 
and and you know you're you're doing all this from a from a hardware perspective from a software perspective from a ui perspective for probably a, a bunch of other perspectives that i don't even know about because i don't work at microsoft but so that that must be just does it ever feel like overwhelming like you're just playing whack-a-mole with <laughs> with technology pretty much because my 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 wife asked me she goes do you feel like, you know, you're, you're understanding on, on top of these things? And it's just like you mentioned, it's like a whack-a-mole, right? Just when I'm starting to see it from a hardware perspective, oh, wait, we need to think about the software perspective. What does it mean for the hardware spec? And, oh, wait a minute, what does it mean for this legacy app? So it's kind of, um, that's why when a release comes or such a relief, because of all those dependencies of really trying to keep them fine-tuned, tested, and validated, when you release it, you're almost at a loss, right? Because you <laughs> almost miss all that time worrying and double-checking and getting everything in, and then you hold your breath. And then when we get that, oh, this is great. It makes this just even a fraction easier it makes that whole kind of anxiety and struggle to get it designed, built, leading up to release, all worth it. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure release time for you guys must just be just like completely nail biting. It must be just months and months and months of stress. And then you guys release and it's just like, oh, this feels so good. Yeah. And plus when, like you mentioned earlier in talking with our third-party AT vendors like, hey, this is what we got coming out. Here's what we're doing. And sometimes we got aligned to what they're thinking and doing. And you're right. It just gets to be, you think you got all your ducks in a row and you think you've done everything, but there's that reassuring feeling finally when it happens that you're like, oh my goodness. So, you know, and, uh, you know, I like where hardware is going. This is my first um, experience working in hardware and appreciating the, it's really a lot more because you're dealing with material, right? So it's got to be much more precise in design before you start mass producing it. And it's been a great learning curve to understand the complexities of what it takes to get where you would think something was basic, like a tablet or a laptop, but all the nuances you need to consider to make it a naturally part uh, of an extension of somebody's body so they can use it naturally and intuitively. It's been a really um, interesting learning curve that I took for granted in taking this role that I've really appreciated. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting too because I feel like the the whole notion of um, accessible by design, as silly as it sounds, it's a relatively new concept in terms of implementation. Anyways, um, for a long, long time, assistive technology has always been sort of a an afterthought. Um, we've engineered solutions to existing products to make those things accessible, like, you know, just sort of hammering in a, a square peg into a round hole and making it work. But this idea of, of you know, universal design is probably another way of, of, of talking about this, but just so but accessible by design. Can you speak a little bit about, about what, that, what that process is kind of like? 
Well, I think what's good about this kind of process of accessible by design is it's not looking like an after fact, right? We know from, think about traditional architecture and buildings, right? We can tell when a ramp was just slapped up kind of half-assed, right? Oh, look, now we're accessible, but the doorway's still too narrow. You can't get in. Or we have to take that maze route to get somewhere because that's the alternate accessible path. So we've seen when we're dealing with physical, tangible things of how painful it can be to when it was being done that way by technology, because you're right, it used to be horrible to navigate a website. It used to be terrible when they bolted it and did it and do that. But when we're doing it by design, people don't realize it is accessible. Like it's not, it's not as apparent, which then brings people closer together. And another thing I always like to say is, we're all going to be disabled someday. Just some of us beat you to it and we're early adopters. <laughs> so bringing them into the fold to build something, they might be building it for us today, but they're actually building it for their future selves. So they're starting to be able to future-proof their applications. So I would almost maybe eventually the language might change from building it accessible to future-proofing it so it's always usable. Can you speak at all to how AI is really sort of changing the game in terms of accessibility? Yeah, definitely. What I like about AI is, has any, have any of you on the call had to use voice, voice services before, like either voice recognition or voice commands? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep, sure. Yep. Now, if you remember... We had to be very precise, right? The language had to be precise. You had to enunciate it a certain way. You had to make sure to leave spaces. You had to deliver it in such a rigid format or it wouldn't work. The beauty of AI is it quickly learns the imperfections of how everybody might speak unconsciously or do and really apply that learning in a way where we can naturally speak to our devices. We can naturally do dictate. Because the best benefit I see for AI with disabilities is quickly learning, for me anyways, is quickly learning that those high effort tasks I do, to be able to easily do them, that might not be the highest value. Like if you look at, do any of you use Gmail? And I guess I shouldn't be talking about another product. But what, <laughs> but what I like about Gmail is it knows what my responses are and it learns my responses. So that way, if when you hit reply all, it, as I start typing, it'll autofill what it will think I might say based on what I've said previously. And it makes it easier for me to have an asynchronous correspondence that I don't even have to dictate, which makes life easier. And you can see that on LinkedIn too, right? When somebody messages you, it gives you some key things of how you might want to respond, which might seem disingenuous, but at least it helps get the dialogue and collaboration going in a more effortless way. 
what AI does is it can constantly sense the mismatches and then quickly provide ways to, to mitigate those mismatches, even if it's as simple as auto-suggest, auto-correct, which could be a blessing and a curse, right? Because sometimes <laughs> you're like, no, I meant to swear. I want that. Uh, yeah, I, believe me, we've all been burned by autocorrect at some point. Exactly. It's a blessing and a curse, right? Um, the other thing that I love, uh, can you talk to us a little bit about the low-cost assistive technology fund? It's part of the AI for Accessibility program, and it's just uh, aimed to... Uh, drive down the cost of assistive digital technology and increasing access to it? No, and I think that's great, right? Because, and I think maybe uh, Ryan mentioned this earlier, is sometimes when we used to have to run assistive technology, at least on my end, I always had to have high-end computers, right? And ran over top of office, ran over top of things. So now the exclusion comes, can I financially or easily buy yeah. the equipment I need? So I think through digital assistive technology, we can make it economically accessible to many because, you know, all our families struggled. If, you're, if you come from a family uh, and you're of somebody with a disability, you know there's Everybody thinks there's magical funding for everything and right. there's funding for some things, but it does come at a cost or a hit to a family that makes it uh, exclusive to give their children what they need at an early age to be able to master it. So what I like about this is, and the better we get at marketing these things, right? My biggest pet peeve as a user with a disability is I don't always know about these accessibility features unless I Google for them or search yeah. for them on mm -hmm. the web. And therefore, if it takes that long for us to find something, what about our parents or peers that if they see naked easily exposed to people? So I think by making it very cost, um, cost accessible, it's gonna make it more visible and people can start using it to struggle a lot less from an earlier age or from an earlier means. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because what, you know, what good is the technology if it has to be, you know, within a device that nobody in that demographic can afford to purchase? It's sort of useless. So you're right. It's definitely part of this uh, component of this cycle that we kind of need to break. Right, because sometimes the disability divide is economic. Yeah. Right? It can be economical, it can be geographical. Like when every place forces you to have a degree, maybe somebody lived in a rural area where a university wasn't in their means of logistically being able to happen. So, how do we get to start treating e learning as an equal component to your traditional? university degree or college diploma, right? We got to really uh, appreciate learning from whatever format or however means it gets and really look at what is learned versus what piece of paper is. The only thing I guess I would like to leave the audience with is, you know, um, always reach out to suggest new ideas. Great innovation comes from 
users with struggles or mismatches, please let us know, right? Like, because I think disability is only a point in time until we figure out a way to solve that mismatch. So as quickly as we can, let's, let's solve for today's disability so we can work on tomorrow's mismatches. So really, let's keep the conversation going. None of us are ever going to get this perfect. And I don't even think us on the call here today would know what does perfect look like in terms of inclusion and accessibility. But we all know what better could be. So let's not, you know, hang on perfection and let's all be human enough, vocal enough, and determined enough to follow through to always be better. Man, that that was so well said. Uh, in fact, I'm just going to end the podcast right there. It's like, what, how can we top that? Yeah, Dave, you're the new host of AT Banter. Just going to cut it off. Right there. We're done here. Well, I, well, actually, I had a bug in Steve's room, and this was the profound stuff he was saying on mute. I thought I would steal it and re-say it. So, sorry for bugging your uh, room, Steve, but I didn't want that gold nugget to go to waste. I, I'm, I'm just surprised that you could hear anything over my bulldog snoring. <laughs> no kidding. No, but that's what I truly feel, right? We don't know what perfection is, but we all have an opinion on better. And I think we can always get better. But to get better means we have to endear with the current to be able to give insight for tomorrow. Now, if do you have anything anything to, that we can plug? Is there is there a website that you can you want to direct people to? Email address. Yeah. If they want to follow me on LinkedIn, my LinkedIn is David Dame. My Twitter is ddame at the name, continue to follow me. I have a website at www.davedame.com. I think it's davedame.com. Give it a try. Um, <laughs> I, I haven't been on it in a while, as you can tell. And if you want to learn more about me, I did a TEDx talk a few years ago called Sprinting with Cerebral Palsy. So do a search. It was a TED talk I did if you want to learn more. Um, but reach out to me on LinkedIn, reach out to me on Twitter, um, reach out to Microsoft if you have any ideas or, you know, how we could be better. Please feel free to uh, do that. Bring back Clippy. That's all I have to no. say. No. <laughs> you're, you're, you're alone on that campaign. <laughs> Yes. Uh, Dave, listen, it's been an absolute delight talking to you. Thanks so much for taking the time out and uh, and talking with us and uh, keep up the incredible work. Thank you, guys. And thank you for allowing me to be on this show. This was actually a really great conversation. So thank you for kicking off my weekend well. <laughs> well, thank you very much. And maybe once Windows 11 gets released, we'll have you back on to talk about what's new. Exactly. That way I'll be more than 12 weeks in <laughs> and I won't say anything that, uh, that'll make me uh, looking for new employment. That's uh, right. Next day. So. And you'll be saying things like, yeah, you can Bing it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> let's I not get started on Bing. Yeah, let's, let's, <laughs> let's not get crazy there, right? Uh, gonna, it's going to take years of muscle memory to, to get me to change that. <laughs> all right dave well listen have a great rest of your day and a great weekend and uh we will we'll reach out again thank you very much
Take care. You too, Dave. Well, thanks. Bye bye. Oh man, it, that was so cool. I love the fact that we have someone from Microsoft on the show. Um, I, I always love it when the big companies, you know, pay a little bit of attention to the little guys like us. Little yeah. folk. Help get the word out. Well, and it gives us a little bit of an inside look as to what's going on kind of behind the scenes. You know, they're not going to tell us everything, of course, but, you know, we did, we did talk about the new Windows 11 that was announced and, you know, he couldn't say a whole lot about it, but stay tuned for more as we progress through the year. Yep. Yeah. I'm always fascinated by like just the development cycle within such a, such a massive company like Microsoft. But I mean, it really does sort of give you a sense of just how hard that must be to build accessibility, not only into new stuff, but into the older products. And, uh, you know, you have to tackle it from a from a hardware perspective, but also a software perspective, but also a user interface perspective. And, you know, it's it is super complicated. And you're talking about working, you know, thousands of people working all around the world together to try to formulate one seamless, smooth user experience. Um, it's just, it's got to be so daunting. Well, and especially now that AI has come onto the scene, right? You know, if you link to that article in the show notes, Rob, that AI and accessibility that Microsoft put out, they have a five-year plan and AI is a huge part of that. So it's going to be really interesting to see what AI can do for us. If you think about it, AI, the only reason that we even need AI to help in that sense is just because humans are stupid and machines aren't. <laughs> well, and we're so, slow, right? Like if well, you go to YouTube, stupid. if you go to YouTube and turn on captions, <clears throat> I'm, I'm pretty sure all of that is done by AI in the background. All that captioning of videos. Yeah. Right. So it's pretty intelligent as it stands today. Yeah. It's not perfect though. No. Well, heck, even look at uh, Otter AI, which is what we use to to build out our our um, transcription. Um, for as good as that service is, like I still have to go in and do an edit pass, and it's not because of a limitation of the software. It's usually because we're mush mouthed idiots <laughs> that can't uh, speak properly, and I have to go in and make all these corrections because the 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 algorithm can't understand what the hell we're saying. Right. Is it getting my banter's properly? Usually your banters come out pretty good. Excellent. It's all I find that I'm usually the most, usually our guests are great. Like usually I have to, don't have to do too many edits. It's just the name of the damn show. <laughs> 88 banter. 80 banter. Say, <laughs> so, hey, Ryan. Rob. Uh, where can people find us? Well, currently they can find us at atbanter.com. For now. Uh, they can also drop us a line if they so desire at cowbell at atbanter.com. That's a shame. We're they're not going to want to lose the uh, the cowbell email. Hey, cowbell's coming with us. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, that goes without saying. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Maybe we can work that into the new name. We'll now, see what the audience comes up with. Yeah, there you go. The cowbell hey, diaries. Before you get too excited here, I think it's also important to mention that people can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. What are you thinking? Yeah. They can for now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, th- uh, wait, there isn't anything after that? No, there isn't anything after that. That's it. No. Well, yeah, they can call us good. and say hi if they want. They yeah. could, yeah. Yeah. 
seven seven eight no i've i've one number you guys i'm sorry one, Six, no, one nine one nine hundred <laughs> come on uh no okay um all right well uh guys i think that is going to about do it for us this week uh big thanks to you of course and uh, to our audience and big thanks to dave for joining us from microsoft and we will see everybody next week this podcast has been brought to you by canadian assistive technology providing low vision and blindness solutions across canada find us online at www.canastech.com that's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Oh, look at that. That's sure the one take.